Now, there were men dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are all filled, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Quote, and in these last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. <coughs> in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapour of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptised, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's what happens when you do the service sheets at uh, 1 o'clock in the morning. You tend to make these little typos, so sorry. Um, all the more reason to bring your own Bibles to church, by the way, folks, because that way you can just follow exactly along and you don't have to rely on me doing the cut and paste correctly. Thanks, Noah. Are you getting that for me, eh? That's great, thank you. So, um, we've just read this uh, text, this important text, about the account of Pentecost. <clears throat> Perhaps for some of you who are Christians for a long time, you may be familiar with this uh, particular text. Thank you very much. Cheers. But I hope to uh, draw out some important uh, things to highlight <clears throat> over the next few minutes together as we think through this passage and, and, and just be inspired again about what it, what it shows, what it points to. Um, this is part, of course, of our series, a little three-week series we're doing called Ascent. Um, three weeks in the Christian calendar that look at three momentous occasions or three momentous doctrines of the Christian faith that are actually often um, underreported, uh, under-celebrated. So last week we looked at the ascension of Jesus, that, 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 that visible, historic 
raising of Jesus uh, up to the heavens. And then this week, uh, we're looking at Pentecost, the coming down of the Spirit upon, as we'll see, the church. And how those two things are connected, uh, hopefully will become clear as we go through. So we're going to be thinking, we've got three headings this evening. <clears throat> what is Pentecost, number one? What is Pentecost, number two? Why did it happen? And thirdly and finally, what did it achieve? So what is it? Why did it happen? And what did it achieve? So, um, as we've uh, said already, Pentecost is, is one of the important uh, festivals. It's sort of a, a traditional Christian uh, Sunday. It happens uh, 50 days after Easter Sunday. That's why it's today. Um, or after the Passover, should we say, which is Good Friday. But anyway, 50 days. Literally, the word Pentecost means 50th in Greek, 50th. Um, and traditionally, on that day, on the 50th day after Passover, according to the Jewish calendar, the ancient Jewish sort of uh, structure of events, um, this day, Pentecost, represented the second of the third three harvest festivals that they have during the year. So it's important that you know that the, the, the feast or the day of Pentecost was in existence before the stuff that we're looking at. And so that explains why all these devout people uh, people from every nation under heaven were gathered in Jerusalem on this particular day in the history of the church. They come for the Pentecost celebrations, the, the harvest festival. They're celebrating the new grain being harvested. And it's on that day, amazingly, that God chose to demonstrate another harvest through the sending of his spirit. So let's look at what is Pentecost, number one. Um, it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, in verse one. They refers to the apostles, probably other people as well. We saw the apostles uh, in, in, in chapter 1 together uh, with a number of other people as well. You know, uh, relatives of Jesus, other believers uh, in the early days, numbering about 120. So it's probably the apostles plus a few people. And there they were uh, together in one place. Uh, don't forget, Jesus, just before he ascended uh, into the heavens, he ordered his apostles not to depart from Jerusalem. He said to them, wait here, don't go anywhere because the promise of my Father is going to come to you. The promise of the Spirit is going to come upon you. So there they are, sitting in Jerusalem, waiting for this promise to come upon them. And it says there in verse 2, uh, the sound like a might, mighty rushing wind came upon the house. Uh, other translations put it, a, a violent wind or a, uh, a roaring windstorm. Deafening sound filled the house. Just for your information, unless you've actually been in one, um, if you have, you'll know, uh, a mighty rushing wind is, is loud, it is deafening. If you ever see uh, news presenters on TV, you know, standing in Florida around that time of year and they're trying to report on, on hurricanes that are coming, they can hardly be heard. They're sort of screaming into the microphone because of the noise of the wind. And so in a similar way, this noise filled the room where they were in. It says there in verse 3, tongues as of fire rested on each one of them. And it says in verse 4, these, these apostles and a few other people probably were filled with the Holy Spirit and were able then to speak suddenly and miraculously in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This, folks, by the way, just in case you're wondering, is not an ordinary experience. These otherworldly events are, are just so unheard of, so fresh and so new in the experience of the church. Why, why these two phenomena? Why the wind and the fire? Well, it doesn't tell us exactly uh, in this passage 
Why those two things? But if you look at the, the, the use of winds, I suppose, elsewhere in, in Scripture, particularly the Old Testament, wind is often symbolizes the presence and the power of God. You know, God spoke to Job, one of the Old Testament sort of uh, prophets, if you like, one of the Old Testament characters. He spoke to Job out of the whirlwind. So wind probably signifies the power and the rushing presence of God upon his people. Fire, uh, again, is referred to in uh, many occasions across the scriptures to refer to purity, to refer to holiness, to refer to refining, the refining fire. And so we've got the power and the presence, the holy presence of God rushing upon his people in that room. Signs together of a new thing. The God has arrived in a special way in unprecedented ways. Never the like of it has been experienced before. And it says there, at this sound, that is the sound of the voices. In verse 6, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one heard them speak in his own language. Again in verse 8, it says, we hear each one of us in his own native language. What were the apostles saying? What were... what? What were these other nationalities hearing? Well, it says down there in verse uh, 11, it says, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. You see, when the Holy Spirit that day remarkably fell upon the apostles, their response was an eruption of praise and adoration, talking about worshipping, thanking God for his mighty works and these men, don't forget, these apostles were, were Galileans. They, even though they were speaking in other tongues, most likely they had a bit of an accent with it as well. It says in verse 7, those who were listening to all this were amazed and astonished, saying, are not these who are speaking Galileans? There's a bit of a stereotype going on here in this verse. Galileans were not renowned for being scholars or educated individuals. They were sort of uh, the northerners, the coaches, if you like. Whereas the, the truly sort of uh, elite people, the educated ones, they came from the city. They were from Jerusalem. And yet these northerners, not renowned for their education, here they are speaking all these languages. How did they know these languages, these Galileans? And here they are speaking in these recognizable languages. People from Parthia, the Medes, the Elamites, the Mesopotamians, the Judeans, the Cappadocians, all these different dialects, all these different tribes had their different languages and they all heard the mighty works of God being proclaimed. And don't forget what we're reading here as we saw last week with the Ascension. This is a, an eyewitness account. As remarkable as the things are that they are describing here, we have here the eyewitness account, not just of those who experienced it themselves in that room, the apostles, but those who looked on and heard as well. These remarkable scenes, easily tested by going at the time and speaking to those who heard them and saw them. It's just amazing, as we said a few moments ago, that God chose this Jewish festival that celebrates the ingathering of this new fruit. And here we have the Holy Spirit pouring out upon the church, celebrating this early gathering in, this new fruit, this new age that's coming upon the church. And we'll see in a few minutes' time how so many people heard, who heard and saw what was going on were radically transformed. We'll see later on that about 3,000 people 
believed in Jesus, gave themselves to him, and were added to the church on that day. Remarkable scenes. This is almost a bit of a side issue, I suppose, but I just think it's important to state at this stage in the message that the we here at Foundation Church are, I suppose, what you could describe as a, an, urban, <clears throat> an urban church. We're, we're located here pretty much in the center of, of Belfast in an urban environment. Uh, we are really in a diverse area where we could say that the nations have been brought in to Belfast. Um, we're in a diverse part of the world that not only is diverse in terms of the city of Belfast, but possibly the most diverse part in all of Northern Ireland. And so here we are. I think that God gives us an opportunity for us to declare the mighty works of God, to shout them out so that the nations who are here in the city can hear us declaring his mighty works and can, can see our works of service and love, our, our adoration of Jesus. This diversity that, that we are really a part of right here, we're sort of situated right within, can give us an opportunity as the spirit-filled community of God, that we are, to declare the mighty works of God. And here in the Chinese Welfare Center, there's already opportunities for us to declare those mighty works of God in word and with deed and, and, and further out in the city as well. I think the bottom line is that we are paused, poised, we can be right on the cusp of making great gains for the kingdom, leveraging our, our opportunity and our location for kingdom growth. But you see, in order for us to be effective to the nations that God has brought to this part of the city, we need to have this spirit-filled boldness we need to have a spirit-filled, dare I say it, a ballsy attitude when it comes to sharing and declaring the mighty works of God to those in our own community. Because when we look at the account of Pentecost, we realize this group of spirit-filled believers could not hold in their praise and their adoration. It just welled up from within them. These are, these are people who had no fear. They weren't held back by the typical ethnic or religious or economic boundaries that separated human beings. This fire was within them. This mighty rushing wind was behind them. And so my question is, at this stage, why not us? What's stopping us from being bold like these believers that we see in Pentecost? Perhaps that we're just being too comfortable. Perhaps we have too much fear of what may be said about us. Perhaps we prioritize too many things above God. Let's face it, anything prioritized above God is, is an idol, right? These things just weren't an issue for those ones who are received the Spirit. And so therefore, they shouldn't be an issue for us today. So what is Pentecost? It is that momentous appearing, falling, baptizing of the Holy Spirit upon the early church. So let's think now about why it happened because we've, we've thought about the signs and, and what it looked like. Let's think about why it happens. And, and arguably the rest of Acts chapter 2 is, a, is an explanation as to why it happens. It says, Peter, in verse 14, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed all those who were listening. And, and Peter preaches, as far as we can tell, his first sermon. 
And this big idea, every, every good sermon should always have a big idea in 10 words or less, what is the, the main thrust of your sermon? And Peter's big idea was this, I think. Today is the first day of the last days. Today is the first day of the last days. That's a big idea of everything that he says can be understood under that. Today is the first day of the last days. Today is a massive day, according to Peter. He goes on then to quote uh, from Joel chapter 2, and it's in verses 17 through to 21 in our text today. Joel is an Old Testament prophet. And this is what Joel says. In the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Put Peter is saying to, to those who are looking on, who are, who are sceptical or critical about this sudden eruption of praise, these people aren't crazy, they're not drunk. He says, this is God pouring out his Holy Spirit. This is the first day of the last days. This is the fulfillment of that Old Testament prophecy that you know so much about. These are the last days. I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. The, the prophecies, visions, dreams, signs and wonders, all this stuff you shall now see because this is the first day of the last days before that great day when the Lord himself shall come to earth and we we thought about that concept of the day of the Lord and the coming of the Lord in our last series uh, through the book of first Thessalonians Peter is saying this is not a random occurrence this is predicted hundreds of years ago so it's not a surprise you know, many Old Testament prophets pointed forward to the day of the Lord, uh, whether it's Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel, as we read there a few moments ago, as Malachi, Amos, Joel, all of them in their own way point forward to this great and awesome day, the coming of the Lord. On that day, his people will have their enemy destroyed. On that day, God's people shall be released, they shall be restored. On that day, God's people shall enjoy victory over their enemies. It is a time of unprecedented peace and contentment. And according to Peter, that day has begun. That new day starts here. Today is the first day of the last days. Many of us uh, have probably looked at pictures or, or maybe um, the coverage of the royal wedding yesterday. It's hard to really avoid it uh, unless you live in a hole um, in the ground. But uh, yesterday our TVs were filled with images of this great spectacle, the, the marriage of Harry, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Uh, great spectacle, millions of people across the world watched this coverage. Uh, it's just such, such a great spectacle, such pride, such pageantry. Just the, I, I, I switched on just at the moment when they were getting into the carriage and drawn by these beautiful horses and this massive sort of cavalry, all the finery. All the officials from the royal household lining the streets. And then all the supporters and the well-wishers. Thousands and thousands of people. This, the military and their grandeur. Just a wonderful experience to view. No matter what your view is of the royal family. Such a special moment. And the focus was on the newlywed royal couple. The beginning of their new lives together. And so in, in the same way... The events on the day of, of Pentecost that we just read here in Acts chapter 2 point 
to the beginning of this new day. Many people were amazed. Great and awesome things were seen and heard. And yet it just marked the beginning of a new life. The new age coming upon the church. But Peter goes on. He says there is more. There is more still for you to understand, he says to those who are looking and listening. Why now? Why has this happened now, 50 days after the Passover, 50 days after the day Jesus died and you know, rose again subsequently? Why have the last days come now? Well, Peter says it's because of Jesus. Look down at verse 22 and 23. Men of Israel, hear these words, he says. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Then down to verse 33. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. This is why it's happening now, says Peter. Last week, as I said, we looked at the ascension. Jesus rose to the right hand of the Father into the heavens. And now from that position, he has sent the Holy Spirit upon the church. See, Pentecost is just, just, Pentecost is another momentous occasion, another stage in God's unfolding plan of, of salvation for his people. How God himself came to us in the person of the Son, Jesus Christ, in order to save us and to restore us, to forgive us, to renew us. And so this, this massive outpouring of the Spirit is the, the next part of the plan. On this day, God the Holy Spirit came to his people to, to live with them, to, to bring the benefits of Jesus' work to them personally. Because you see, without Pentecost that day, there would be no salvation for us. Without Pentecost, there would be no salvation for us. And so it's important that we understand the uniqueness of that great day. And that's why we have the benefit of the church calendar to encourage us and point us on days like today to that great and awesome day of Pentecost. This massive stage in God's plan for salvation. Unrepeatable in our own day. It's important that we understand this because uh, some, some folks within the, sort of the wider Christian body teach that this Pentecost experience that, that we see here uh, should be experienced by every, every believer. Each of us should have a Pentecost experience of our own that, that we can't be a true believer if we haven't experienced Pentecost for ourselves. But ho hopefully you can, you can see in the text that we've read so far today there's so much happening. There are too many features that point to the, the uniqueness of this event it is as unrepeatable as the death of Christ as the resurrection of Christ as the ascension of Christ it is another momentous and amazing step in that plan of salvation yes the benefits of Pentecost continually flow to us today and yes believers in Jesus <clears throat> may experience amazing times today of of intimacy eruption of praise and worship when the Holy Spirit comes upon them in fresh and new ways. That people may experience almost a sense of being swept up into the very presence of God. 
We, we may experience today signs and wonders, the wonderful gifts of the Holy Spirit. But this account shows us the uniqueness of Pentecost, the inauguration of this new age, the coming of the kingdom of God. Because Pentecost shows us that God's presence with his people has come in fresh and unfounded ways. No longer is God's presence restricted to a temple. No longer is God's presence even restricted to the person of Jesus Christ. Because now Pentecost, God's presence is with all of his people through the coming of his Holy Spirit. So we thought about what, what is Pentecost. <clears throat> We've looked at some of the external facts there. Why did it happen? And we've hopefully seen that it's the next stage in the application of salvation and the, uh, the God's great plan of salvation for us. And so thirdly and, and lastly, we're going to look at what did it achieve? What did it achieve for us here today? Some people refer to Pentecost as the birthday of the church. Uh, and I think that has good, good value to it, that, that theme. On the day of Pentecost, the church was born. In some ways, the church existed before then, but... It just marks that amazing new beginning of the church, the commencement of the Spirit-filled community of the people of God, baptised in the Holy Spirit as he was poured out upon them, as they were drenched, if you like, in the Holy Spirit. And so now, as a result, there is this closeness and connection and fellowship with God and with one another like never before. You can see how this powerful, spirit-filled community is to be accessed. How do you, how do you get into it? In verse 38, when, when they had sat and listened to Peter's explanation, uh, and they realized these events not only were prophesied by the Old Testament prophets, but happened because Jesus died and rose and then sent his spirit. When they heard the gospel, they were cut to the heart, it says, and they asked, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is how you enter into the Spirit filled community, according to Peter. Repent, be baptized, receive forgiveness, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is how the benefits of Jesus' work, the Messiah's work, his victory, the safety that he brings, the peace that he works into you. This is how you receive it. This is what happens when we turn to Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. When we give up our skepticism about him, when we give up our mockery of him, when we give up our spiritual apathy towards him, and instead when we fall before him as Lord, when we give our lives to him in surrender, and we demonstrate that by the obedience of baptism, that is how we enter the spirit-filled community of God. It's interesting, this is just almost a side note really, but this is a, a bunch of religious Jews that are listening to Peter's first sermon. Baptism 
was reserved for those coming from outside of Judaism who wanted to convert to Judaism. Gentiles, if they wanted to convert, they would have to go through baptism to show they've come from outside in. But here Peter is saying to those religious Jews who thought they'd already done it and done all the rituals and the rites, he says, no, 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 you must be baptized to demonstrate your obedience, to show that you have come from outside in. Anyway, those who turn to Jesus, who have obedient hearts, they are the ones who receive his forgiveness. They are the ones who receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it says there in verse 41, about 3,000 people were added that day. Those who heard, who saw, who listened to the gospel, who were convicted, who believed, who were baptized, 3,000 in one day were added to the Spirit-filled community of God, the church. I just want to finish now by pointing out two effects of the Spirit-filled community that we see in this scripture passage that directly impinge on us. Two effects. First of all, it's radical. And secondly, it's missional. That's how you know, by the way, if you're in a spirit-filled community, if you see these two things happening among us. First of all, it's radical. Look back again at verses 17 and 18. That quote from the, uh, the prophet Joel. I'm going to read it again. In the last days it shall be God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. That doesn't mean to say, by the way, everybody in the world, but it means every type of person. Not people without, distinct, uh, without exception, but people without distinction. Every type of person. And then he goes on to explain what that means. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young and your old, uh, young men will see uh, visions, your old men shall dream dreams, even on my servants, male and female, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Men and women, young and old, high in society and the low in society, all of these types of people will receive the Holy Spirit. This is why it is so radical, the Spirit-filled community. You see, in the, in the Old Testament uh, when, you, when you read it through, you realize that the Spirit was, was sort of reserved for, for specific people, special people that were called by God for a specific job, whether they were prophets or priests or kings or leaders in some way or other. They received the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit wasn't given to all people. But here we see, in the New Age, in the age of the Spirit, the, the coming of the kingdom of God, all flesh, that is all types of people, will receive and demonstrate the kingdom of God. That is so radical. That is so radical. Because it just seems to fly in the, in the face of our own popular conception of glory and success and those who, who make it in the eyes of the world. Those who make it in the eyes of the world, let's face it, whether we like it or not, are those who tend to be rich, those who are powerful, mostly men more than women make it in the eyes of the world, mostly white people more than ethnicities that make other ethnicities that make it in the eyes of the world. These are people who are successful, who seem to make it and get there. 
If you're from a good background, if you're connected, if you've been to the right school, the chances are you'll make it. But you see, the spirit-filled community is so radically different. It, it turns all that stuff out there in the world upside down. We could say that the spirit-filled community is truly egalitarian. True equality. There is no distinction in the spirit-filled community. The kingdom of the world is all about power and your connections. The kingdom of God is radically different. Men and women are filled equally by the Spirit. Young and old are filled equally by the Spirit. Those in the high society and low society are filled equally by the Spirit. See, the Spirit-filled community turns our expectations, our institutions, our worldly values upside down. The Holy Spirit destroys those worldly power structures that, we, that have just become so ingrained in our lives. Folks, this is, this is exciting. This is radical stuff that we're reading. It's so countercultural. Counter so countercultural. It means that we should expect to see in the local church people who are filled with the Spirit, gifted and added from all types and all backgrounds. No distinctions. How radical is that? We, we hear of diversity all the time. Our, our government legislates to enforce diversity within the education system, within the healthcare system, even within private business. It is pushed on us. But it is only in God's spirit-filled community of the local church that this vision can become a reality of true diversity when you see what the Spirit does when he is poured out without distinction on all people. The Spirit-filled community, number one, is radical. Thirdly, sorry, secondly, and, and, and as we come to a close, we'll see this, it is missional. Look down at verse 39. This is Peter as he's sort of summing up his sermon. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. See, according to the Apostle Peter, who's giving interpretation to all this stuff here, he's saying this promise, when you repent, when you turn to Jesus, when you obey him in baptism, when you receive this faith and this gift of the Spirit, this promise is not just for you, he says, you listeners. It is for your children and it is for those who are far off. So implicit within that comment is a call to invite others to receive the promise. This promise is for them too. Don't just, don't just keep it to yourselves. The promise is that anyone who turns to Jesus and obeys him will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so that, that has bite for us today. In the spirit-filled community, especially if you are a parent or a grandparent or aunts and uncles, even uh, close friends, have kids. Everyone in the local church, really. This has bite for us because we are called here to tell our own children of the promise of God. 
It means that, that we are called to take every opportunity that we have to instill and teach and demonstrate that promise and what it's all about, the content, and what it looks like in our lives to the younger people and the children in your lives. That makes you a missional people because you're teaching others the promise of God, especially falls upon parents. But that promise is for you, for your children, and for those, he says, who are far off. Different commentators vary on what that term far off means. Some think it means later generations who aren't yet born. Others think it means those who are sort of Gentiles outside of the Jewish family, if you like. But I think it's probably more related to this idea of different ethnicities, Gentiles, and, and all that that sums up. Don't forget the Spirit comes upon all flesh, high and low, male and female, young and old. And Peter is telling those who are listening, go and tell them the promises of God. Go and tell them the promises of God. Those who are outside the fold, those who are different to you, who speak a different language, who look a different colour, who are at a different stage on the socio-economic ladder to you, Go tell them the promises of God. And when you read through the rest of the book of Acts, you see this exciting story unfolding when that exact thing happens. More and more and more, people hear of the promise of God. And so that's our mission as a church, the spirit-filled community to go and share. We've thought about what Pentecost is. We've asked the question why it happened. And then we finish by saying, what did it achieve? This radical, missional, spirit-filled community. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this amazing, momentous day of Pentecost. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can read the accounts and just be so stirred by what you did by sending your spirit upon your church. We thank you, Lord, that the ripples, the effects of Pentecost still continue to this day with great power and great force because your spirit is continually poured out upon us from your right hand. Father, we receive your Holy Spirit. We ask as your people that we might receive more of him Lord, we ask that you would have your way among us. We ask that we would become a people who are radical, all types within our church, and that we would become more and more missional, telling our children and those who are far off the promise of God is for them. Father, as we come now to feed upon Christ by faith as we take the bread and the wine, would you remind us afresh of your grace to us? And would you stir us again as we eat and drink, stir up our faith, deepen our conviction. In his name we pray. Amen. <laughs>